If tragedy plus time equals comedy, then comedy plus time equals what now? We answer that question and more on Second Thought with Sean L. McCarthy. Any joke you hear on a comedy album has been refined and re-examined by the comedian hundreds, if not thousands of times before recording it for posterity. And yet, comedians are never done tinkering with their bits, so to speak. In fact, some jokes get much better and funnier after the version you hear on the album, while others lose their punch due to the passage of time and how we might think about the subject years later. Sometimes the comedian himself or herself gets tired of a joke or has a complete about-face on the subject. So if you hear the recorded album version of the joke on Laughly, this is their chance to explain themselves. We invite comedians to talk about the jokes they were tired or since had second thoughts about. This is On Second Thought. Gilbert Gottfried was a cast member of Saturday Night Live during its sixth season and hosted USA Up All Night for the cable network in the 1990s. But he's more famous for his voice. Not only as the parrot Iago in Disney's Aladdin movie and as the Aflac duck, but as a loud screeching voice behind the hit podcast Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast and delivering dirty jokes at many Comedy Central roasts. That seminal change, so to speak, happened in 2001 at the roast of Hugh Hefner when Gottfried dropped his prepared material and forever changed his image with fans. Let's listen to the final track from Gilbert Gottfried's Dirty Jokes, The Aristocrats. Well... I got uh, one more quick one <laughs> to end it with. A talent agent is sitting in his office. A noble American family walks in. Ah, father and mother, son and daughter, a big fluffy dog. They, the family has blonde hair and blue eyes and bright skin. And uh, the talent agent looks up and goes, all right, let's see what you do. So the father drops his pants and takes off his shirt. He's totally naked. He undresses his wife, starts fucking his wife on the floor. <laughs> then the son drops his pants, takes his shirt off, and then the, the, his sister also takes all our clothes off. The son and the daughter start fucking on the floor too. And the dog is pissing on them. <laughs> and starts blowing the sun. The father starts fist-fucking the daughter in the ass. And, and the father, just for your information, is an ex-Marine who has really muscular arms. The type with the ta tattoo of a battleship on it. And, and uh, you know, and he looks like he just ate a can of spinach type arm. Fist-fucking the daughter in the ass as the daughter is licking out her brother's asshole. And the brother at the time is chewing on the dog's balls. Now, the dog starts fucking the mother. And he's fucking the mother while the mother is eating out while she is fist-fucking her brother in the ass. Yeah, I, if you're not keeping up with this, I'll start at the beginning. Because it's important if you miss 
finish any part, then the joke makes no sense. <laughs> then the father starts fucking his son in the ass as the son is eating his mother's cunt, as the mother is eating the daughter's cunt, as the daughter is blowing the dog. <laughs> and with his big fist, the father fist fucks the dog in the ass. Because really, why leave the dog out? <laughs> that would be wrong. It would be very wrong. Now, the son breaks off a leg from one of the chairs and shoves it up his sister's asshole and starts fucking her with it as the father takes a lamp and shoves it into her cunt as the mother is licking out the father's asshole as the mother is eating the dog's ass. Now, the dog takes a tremendous shit on the floor. Now, you'd think, if, if I could pause for a second, you'd think that at this point, the talent agent would go, oh, for God's sakes, I'm getting on the phone and calling the police. But no. that. Now, the son walks in with cables out of the trunk of a car, like jumper cables. So he attaches the jumper cables to his father's balls and starts running electricity to him as he's licking out his father's asshole, as the father's eating his daughter out, as he's fucking the dog in the ass. This sounds like one of those prayers on the Jewish holidays that you have to read. And he fucks in the ass, and the dog fucks the cat, and the cat fucks the boy, and the boy fucks the dog. Amen, amen. And little kid, little kid, and the fire put out the dog that fucked the cat, that fucked the girl. And, and then the son climbs up on a table, puts a noose around his neck and jumps off. And through auto-asphyxiation, see, this is educational, you start choking, and that makes you have a big orgasm. Try it when you get home. <laughs> no, really, really, I'd like you to. I've, I've looked at a few of you, and I don't see that it would be a major loss. <laughs> if any of you hung yourselves tonight and the cop said, well, he was, he uh, shot tongue when he, uh, oh, good enough, good enough. I saw him when he was alive. There was no point in him living long. So the son is there and he's shooting cum and the mother's blowing him and the daughter's blowing him and the dog is blowing him. Then the mother and daughter take two rats, also where they came from, and shove them in their cunts. And the rats are chewing the insides of their, of their cunts and blood is coming out. And then that, of course, makes the father and son very horny. You've all been in that. Any of you who have ever been in front of, like, your wife and daughter who have rats in their cunt, you go, oh, I gotta get my dick in there right away. I gotta put my dick in there. Ooh. <laughs> and 
sorry, he puts his dick and the rats now are chewing on their dick. So now like cunt blood and dick blood is pouring out of their cunt. And now the son who has been cut down from the news is squeezing his pimples into his mother's cunt. Into his mother's cunt. And it's like filled with pimple uh, juice. And then he starts shoving his face in and eating it out. This is based on a true story. And he's eating her out. Now, so the, so the daughter squeezes her blackhead into all over her father's dick. And the dog shits on his dick. And then the son and daughter start blowing the father with the shit and the blackhead on his dick. And now their face is covered with shit and piss and cum and, and also uh, sweat. Ooh, sweat, sorry. No sweat. Sweat's disgusting. Ooh, sweat. Oh, it's horrible. Ooh, sweat. Stop with the sweat already. Now, the two rats get pulled out of their cups and they're jerked off, and they're shooting cum, and they're blowing the rats, and their faces get covered with rat cum, and then shit and piss, and uh, the family's covered with shit and piss and rat cum, and a little sweat. Ooh, don't like that. And then the, the father takes a tremendous shit on the floor, and the mother pulls out her glass eye, and the son starts fucking her in the eye socket, and fills up her eye socket with rat cum and rat shit and rat piss and the dead rats, and he starts fucking her in the eye socket, and then the dog uh, bites the rat's heads off, and they start the son and uh, the uh, father start fucking the rats in the neck. <laughs> and believe it or not, the father with these enormous arms is able to fist fuck a rat in the asshole. Because <laughs> they have amazingly elasticity in a rat. If you catch a rat, try. <laughs> I'm telling you, you'll thank me for it later. You'll thank me for it later. You, you fucking, ooh, and, and you fucked around to the asshole. And, uh, and, and they're fucking and sucking for about like five hours in shit and piss and cum and pimple pus and blackheads and ooh, sweat. And then uh, afterwards, they stand up and they take a bow. <laughs> and the talent agent, the talent agent, nonplussed by this, <laughs> I like to throw in a big word, nonplussed by this, goes, hmm. That's an interesting act you have there. What do you call yourself? And they say, the aristocrats. <laughs>
for like yeah. bringing that joke out of secrecy. Yeah. Um, but when I was watching the documentary film, uh, your wife Dara mentioned that you were not a dirty comic before that. Uh, and I'm trying to think back, and I don't remember. Yeah, it, it's a funny thing. Um, I mean, for most of the years uh, of my career of doing stand-up, I, I would, like, go out of my way to avoid dirty jokes or, or dirty words, even. Uh, because it was, like, one of these things I wanted to see if what I, I said was funny. Mm-hmm without it being dirty, because I would find this a lot where um, it, it's like I see a, a comedian on TV, and uh, he, he would, like, the punchline would be like, whatever, I wore a cowboy hat. <laughs> and you go, eh, that's not funny, I wore a cowboy hat. And then I would think about it and think, the producers of this TV show saw him at a club saying, and I wore a fucking cowboy hat. <laughs> and the audience started laughing. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, that's a great joke. You can't use the, you know, fucking, of course. <laughs> but that's still a great mm-hmm. joke. And it's like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's, that's, that's the joke right there. And, and there's even these comedians who will say a line clean first, mm-hmm. and when it bombs, they'll say a dirtier version of it. That's like, they'll go, I, uh, and uh, and you could roller skate there, and then uh, they won't get a laugh, and then they'll push their mouth right over the mic and go, and you can fucking roller skate there. See, it even just got me to laugh. Just yeah, see? <laughs> it's just... It so, works. so what had you originally planned for the roast of Hugh Hefner? There was that first joke, the 9-11. Yeah. Joke. Well, like, what did you have planned after that? I didn't have too much planned. There was stuff I was thinking about. One thing that I did uh, was I remembered that I opened with this because before me, uh, Ice-T was on. Okay. And, you know, he was doing this thing like, I, you know, I'm going to kill some of you white motherfuckers <laughs> and I'm going to rape you white bitches. And he kept doing this whole thing. So when I went on, I said, Ice-T stole my whole bit, but it's such a good bit, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> and uh, and I said, I'm going to kill you white motherfuckers <laughs> and then I'm going to rape you white bitches and then I'm going to kill some more you white motherfuckers. <laughs> And rape some more, you white bitches. And that went well, but <laughs> it, it it was funny. It was like, this was really a, f- a few days after September 11th. Right. And I remember in New York, there were black clouds for weeks after that in the sky. And everyone was walking around the, in the, around the world, I think. I just... I just uh, made my finger in a circular <laughs> fashion when I said around the world because you might not know what the no. world is. Some people yeah. think it's flat. Yes, yes. So I did a circular mm-hmm. motion, and and that way I saw you look and go, hmm, <laughs> that the way he shaped his finger, that looks kind of like the world. But no, there were uh, ashes and 
people yeah, would argue uh, toxic yeah. clouds yeah, coming out yeah, from ground toxic zero. Toxic clouds in the world. Right. I just did another yes. circular finger motion. <laughs> <laughs> and um and like so around the world people were in shock and especially New York people were and and I don't know, I guess I wanted to be the first one to address the elephant in the room. Because, uh, and I mean literally, right. there was an elephant in the room uh, dressed in a suit jacket <laughs> and and sipping a Mai Tai. Hmm. <laughs> but no, so I wanted to address the elephant in the room. And I go, I have to leave early tonight. I have to fly to L.A., I couldn't get a direct flight. We have to make a stop at the Empire State Building. So this got people booing and hissing and and mo- you can hear this t- chairs screech back and murmuring and one guy yelled too soon. Yeah, you can hear that you can actually hear that. Oh yeah. yeah. And I thought well that means I I didn't take a long enough pause between the setup and the punchline. Yeah, <laughs> uh, too I should have I should have done like a one two three Mm -hmm. wait on it but so then you know and I felt like I had been you know after I bombed with that thing it felt like if you said to me well you were standing there for 2,000 years before you went into the aristocrats I would believe you that's what it felt like and then I remember I just I wasn't planning on doing the aristocrats to me. I felt like I already lost them as far as I could lose them. What the hell? Go to the bottom level of hell. And I started, went into the aristocrats, and and it was like the place started laughing, and then it was like explosive laughter. And I remember there were two different critics who who wrote articles about it, at least two, and... And one of them said it, it was like a cathartic experience, and the other said it was as if I performed a mass tracheotomy on the crowd. And and so that was... Which one was the better review? The what? Which one of those reviews did you think was the better review? Uh, yeah, the I, cathartic one or the tracheotomy? I, I thought the one where he said it was like I gave a prostate exam. <laughs> to the crowd because I did I yeah. literally stuck my finger in everyone's asshole and uh, I've had that done a few times yeah yeah once you hit 40 it's yeah oh I don't mean from a doctor oh, I just right. I mean in general <laughs> on the subway how how soon <laughs> after that did uh, Paul Provenza approach you about a doc making that into a documentary yeah well I at this point I forget which came first the chicken or the egg mm-hmm. But I remember it was like Paul, Provenza, and and Pendulette. Uh, right. I already forgot his name. <laughs> they see I don't talk to someone for a week. Well, he's out in Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. So I can't talk to. I don't talk to him, and I don't talk to any of those ventriloquists <laughs> out in Vegas, or any of the other magic acts. But now you know. Did you did you ever think that that would completely change the way? that you approach the audience or the audience thinks of you? It's weird. And now uh, it's funny because the whole company, if I knew this was going to happen, 
I would have uh, asked for like 5,000 copies of The Aristocrats while it was still taking place because now the company that produced it mm -hmm. is out of business. Oh. Yeah, it was Think Films. They're out of business. Uh, you know, Prevention. Prevention. I'm sorry, I'm having a stroke right now. <laughs> You'll just have to pretend you understand. <laughs> No, uh, Profenza and Penn both like asked about you know acquiring mm -hmm. the rights. So who knows? This is going to be one of those lost films mm. that film historians will talk about. But then you made a whole album of dirty jokes. Uh, yeah, and and now it's kind of let when audiences come to see you, whether it's here in New York City at Caroline's or on the roads, that's what they expect. It, it's so weird that it's gotten to a point where, like, I think I've, I've gotten at times way too gross, and I'll have the audience come up to me afterwards and say, mm, wasn't dirty enough. <laughs> so do you miss that old, the younger, do you miss the younger, clean Gilbert? Uh, not necessarily. I, uh, I... I uh, I miss, you know what I miss? I used to, when I first started doing stand-up, and for a couple of years after that, like just at these, you know, places you didn't get any money, like mm -hmm. Catch and the Improv, and a million others that would open and close right. in a day. And I'm, it, it's like there were times there were snowstorms going on. <laughs> transit strikes thunderstorms and i would have to go to the comedy club to perform <laughs> and i i don't know what it was it was some weird addiction now i could be booked uh especially when i'm booked they I, okay here's in in the past few years mm -hmm. here's been that the dream i have right before i'm about to go on stage mm -hmm. I always think like, ooh, imagine if the manager of the club came back here right now and said, uh, look, we had a fire or a flood in the club, and uh, so the show's been canceled for tonight, but here's your check. Uh, we've got you booked on the next flight out. And that, to me, mm -hmm. is, it would be the greatest thing in the world. Well, I guess having a podcast kind of helps then. Yeah. I <laughs> because guess you so. don't have to leave. Yeah, yeah, podcast. You can get advertisers to pay you. And yeah, although podcast, I'm still trying to figure yeah. out. There are about four people who make, you know, actual noticeable money. Right. It, it's kind of like with books. Uh, when comedians write books, they name about four comedians whose books were bestsellers. And it's like Cosby, uh, uh, Seinfeld, like it's about four people. And then the rest, these books come out, no one even knows they're out. <laughs> um, do you think... But my, my, my podcast is Gilbert Gottfried's <laughs> Amazing Colossal Podcast. Okay. I'm glad we got that plug yes. in. Um, but do you... So you don't regret doing the aristocrats? Uh, no, no. I I liked. See, I I mean, I remember when they approached me, mm -hmm. 
and and said uh, they're going to make it into a movie, the whole joke, the aristocrat. And I I remember thinking, eh, all right, uh, but this this is going to be like, you know, it'll be lucky if it shows in his living room. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's like, eh, all right. And I didn't think it was going anywhere. And then the idea that not only does it get made, but released to theaters. I mean, that's amazing. Because, I mean, the idea of documentaries released to theaters is weird. But it got released to theaters. It got loads of great reviews. It was... uh, yeah, amazing. How but, well, I don't know how to. I don't know how to tell you this, but uh, the documentary of you is going to be in theaters. Ah, yes, and <laughs> so. that one is called Gilbert, <laughs> and you have to see the film to understand what the title means. No, it's a. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a it's a great movie, and uh, we get to see more of the young you. And uh, oh God, yeah, uh, great to see what uh, what what you were like before the aristocrats. Oh, as well. geez, yeah, it's scary. <laughs> It was like, I remember the filmmaker, Neil Berkeley, he he approached me and he said he always wanted to do a Gilbert Gottfried documentary. And I said, you should really set your aspirations a lot higher than that. And um, because I thought, you know, you should you should at least be dead for 20 years (laughs) before they do a documentary or discover penicillin. <laughs> and I discovered penicillin when a doctor gave it to me. But no, but thank you. Remember to tip your waitresses. And, <laughs> and um, no, so uh, I, and then when I saw the film, it, it was like, to me, that was like, that was sitting in hell. <laughs> I've seen it about four times, and each time I get that impression like that, when you die... Uh, the first thing they make you do for part of the eternity is to sit there and there'd be a big screen in front of you where you have to watch your entire life. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a joy for the rest of us to watch. Yes. So thank you, Gilbert, for sitting with me and talking. Oh, well, anyone sitting with you, uh, I'm sure it's a thrill (laughs) because, uh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Gilbert. Thank you. On Second Thought is produced by Mark Seaman for Laugh Radio Incorporated. I'm your host, Sean L. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. 